If you have your Bible open and find John chapter 18. So this morning we're still considering the event of the final week of Jesus' earthly life. We are technically still in the season of the church calendar, known as Easter Tide. Easter Tide, which runs from Easter Sunday for 50 days, 50 days until Pentecost Sunday, which this year we run. Which on this Pentecost Sunday is May 23rd this year. So I don't want to jot that down. Um, we're at Easter Tide. We often think of some of the important times, uh, days, or whatever, uh, in, the, in the practice of our Christian faith in terms of the important single day. So, like Christmas Day or Easter Day. But throughout the history of the church, Christians have taken these days and um, used them to mark out a whole season in which to focus. Uh, on, a, on a particular event uh, and the importance of it. So, hence, Christmas, in the history of the church, Christmas hasn't been Christmas Day, but uh, Christmas Tide, which runs 12 days, which is funny because you'd be something that you're saying on the 12th day of right? So, it's 12 days to reflect on the incarnation of the Lord. Easter isn't just Easter Day, or Easter Sunday, it's Easter Tide, because, as I said, runs 50 days. Uh, and it's a whole season where we can have an extended reflection on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And and uh, and, and Christians in, in, in history haven't just done this just so we have an extended time to reflect, but also so that throughout the course of our calendar year, we can sort of mirror the life of Jesus Christ. Um, so, for example, here, Jesus' disciples did actually have 40 days of walking around and interacting with the risen Jesus uh, before he ascended back into heaven. Ten days later, the Spirit came on Pentecost, and so that's why 50 days for Easter time. Why am I mentioning this? Well, for one, because I think it's good for you to know and good for you to practice. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science thing. It is, it's a good thing to uh, to give focused attention uh, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for example, not just for one day, one special day, but for 50 days. 50 days where you get special focused reflection on that. Maybe, so maybe you've never heard of these seasons in the Christian year, but you can look it up all over the place. But for another, um, it's uh, it's good to think about to divide the, the, the year up like this because it's good to think about these. Different individual aspects of the work of the Lord Jesus for our salvation. To think about the cross. And then to have a whole season where you think about the resurrection. You have a whole season where you think about the incarnation, which is for us and salvation. Um, so we think, you have seasons where you think about his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his ascension, or his resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Spirit, his coming again, his advent. So, um, yeah, but that's also a double edged sword. Because while it is good to think about all these different aspects, so we're in Easter time, we're thinking about the resurrection, um, they are still different aspects of the one great work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Um, they're different aspects. They're not different works. They're different aspects of one great work, one great saving work. 
different episodes of that one word, which is why it's a good thing for us on this morning still to be thinking about the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. We're in this season thinking about the resurrection. It's still good for us to be thinking about the cross. And uh, with that said, our passage today is going to be begin in John chapter 18. Uh, and it'll, it'll run the last part of John 18 and then the first half or so of chapter 19. Specifically John 18, 33 through John 19, 16. And that's our passage today. So if you found that place in your Bible, I'd like you to follow along as I read aloud. In verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and and the soldiers put together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I, I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Well, Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. 
From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, the Baca. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify the king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Lord, this is a heartbreaking passage. But you, you left it to us for our, for our salvation, for our sanctification. This is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. Lord, would you give us eyes to see what you have us to see here? And Minds to understand what John is communicating to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you give us hearts to embrace what the Spirit is impressing upon us in the world? Would you give us will to obey what it calls us to do? Would you give us all ears to hear? Would you help learn to speak back and listen? Alright, so there's certainly a good bit going on in this passage. I think. I know you can say this about any passage, but I think John's um, main point here is simply to recount what happened. He's not he's not adding a whole lot of commentary to it. He's just recounting what happened, but he's because the events themselves have a lot to teach us. But he is recounting if you if you just pay careful attention to the way he's describing what happened, what he chooses to say. Uh, he's he's telling it in such a way that it does insinuate deeper realities, deeper truths. Um, yeah, that, that are going on here. So it's not hard. I mean, when we read it, there's sort of three main characters, three or more sets of characters in this passage. You have Jesus who's on trial. You have Pilate who is presiding over the trial, and the third is a group of people, namely the chief priests, officers, representatives of the Jews, and. Um, and like I said, in the way that John is recounting these things, he's, he's doing so to try to give us insight into deeper reality, deeper truth in each of these characters. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning, I'm just going to try to follow the way John has gone about telling the story. I don't presume we have improved upon that. I simply want to highlight what I think John is emphasizing. And then along the way, try to try to draw out some principles that we should take away from it. So I think there are four distinct movements in this passage. You may have noticed, you may have picked up on the, the, the distinctions in those movements where it, it you see it in, in how it's through Mark, Jesus tells, or John tells that Pilate went into his headquarters to talk to Jesus, and he went back out to his headquarters to talk to Jesus, and back in, and back out. You got these movements back and forth. And, uh, and I think those four movements are going to be descriptive of what we see. Um, I'm going to try to arrange it that way. So, uh, if you're taking notes, here are the four movements 
or rather the summary descriptions of those movements, and then we'll dive into it. I think the first scene between Jesus and Pilate, I think John wants us to see willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. In Pilate especially. We'll see that in verse 33 through the first part of verse 38. Willful ignorance. And then next, secondly, we go back outside to the Jews, and I think in that scene, John wants us to see willful irony. Both in what the Jews ask for, as well as in what Pilate does. Willful irony. We'll see that in the, from the second half of verse 38 all the way through chapter 19, verse 5. Then thirdly, I go back inside to talk to Jesus again, and in that private conversation with Jesus, I think he highlights willful submission. Willful submission on the part of Jesus. Even as he makes unmistakably clear his absolute authority <coughs> over all that is happening to him. That's verses 6 through 11 of chapter 19. And then finally, in the fourth scene, we're going to go back outside and view one more time. And uh, John wants us to see willful rejection. Uh, most obviously by the chief priests and the Jews, but also in the actions of Pontius Pilate. So we'll see that in verses 12 and 16. There, that's where we're going. So, um, like I said, we'll try to describe what John is saying here and then try to draw out some principles and lessons to take away from it. If we have time, we'll talk around our table this evening. So, uh, let's, let's dive in, start at the beginning, and think about willful ignorance that we find in these early verses. So the scene that we encounter in verse 33 was established uh, a few verses earlier in chapter 18 and verse 28. Look there for just a second. Um, you may remember from last week um, that Jesus had been passed around from Jewish court to Jewish court, uh, first with Annas and then in, to the high priest Caiaphas. Um, and, but in verse 28, we're told that they sent Jesus from Caiaphas' house to the Roman governor's headquarters. That's the headquarters of Pontius Pilate. Um, they had a sentence that they wanted to carry out on Jesus, but they didn't have authority to carry out. So they sent him to Pilate, who did have that authority to crucify Jesus and to put him to death. And that begins this outside, inside, back and forth pattern that we see in the passage today. It begins outside in, in verse 29, and Pilate asks the Jews, What do you have against Jesus? Why are you bringing him to me? What accusations, what charges are you bringing against Jesus? They don't really give him there a, a clear answer, basically saying in verse 30, we wouldn't have brought him to you if we didn't have something, find something wrong with it. Pilate says, well, then go judge him by yourself. Then, if you don't want to tell me. They say in verse 31, we don't have authority to put someone to death, which I suppose raised Pilate's antenna. Pilate must have thought at this point, if you think he should be put to death, Whatever he did must have been a capital offense. So I need to get to the bottom of it. And that gets us to our passage today. Pilate comes back inside to talk to Jesus again in verse 33. And his first question to Jesus in verse 33 is, are you the king of the Jews? This being the first question that, uh, that Pilate asks, he must have assumed that if the Jews think he should be put to death, then he must be someone politically dangerous. To, to, to the Roman Empire, which would explain why they brought him to him. And if Jesus was that, if he was politically dangerous, then Pilate could not afford in his position not to pursue. Uh, so we'll see more clearly 
uh, line, the passage goes on. But here he simply asks, are you the king of the Jews? Now, there is more than one way to read that question. Um, this is when it would have been more helpful to have been there and heard Pilate's tone of voice. This is why I don't call for better than that. I'm afraid to say it. Um, I think the best way to read verse 33 in this question um, is with the emphasis on the word you. Right? Are you the king of you? Are you the king of you? Implication, smart aleck conscious pilot saying, here I was all this time thinking Caesar was the king of you. You're telling me you're the king of you? Jesus doesn't answer that question directly yet. He first answers Pilate's question with a question of his own. Why are you asking me this? Uh, he basically says, did the Jews put you up to this question? Are you asking this of your own volition? Why do you think Jesus answered this way? Because without, without putting a finer point on what is meant by king of the Jews, without putting a finer point on what that means, and for Jesus to honestly answer that question at that point uh, would be open to misinterpretation. And so uh, the Jews, as we learn from later in the passage, are trying to accuse Jesus of trying to rival Caesar. Right? Any, any, you're not a friend of Caesar if you don't get rid of this king. So they're trying to present Jesus as this political king trying to cause an insurrection and rival Caesar as king over the Jews. Jesus knows this. He knows this is what they're accusing him of. And so he gets, in his own question, he gets Pilate himself to clarify in what sense he means king. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is offended even at the hint that the Jews might be feeding him the question. He hated the Jews, by the way. Pilate did. He's his own man. No one, certainly not the Jews, are feeding him the question. So it becomes clear uh, that Pilate is asking the same kind of question that the Jews are asking, but without the accusatory edge. Uh, he, he's, he's more inquisitive than accusatory. Um, he, he, and so he simply says, his follow-up question, Pilate, is simply, well, what have you done? What have you done? And Jesus takes the opportunity there to answer the first question. Are you the king of the Jews? But he does it in a clearer way than, uh, than what Pilate may have assumed. He tells him in verse 36 that you're looking at, my kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Yes, I am a king, but not like Caesar. Caesar's kingdom is from this world. Mine is not. So Pilate replies, well, you are a king. Maybe he was confused. I think Pilate, maybe even because, simply because of his hatred of the Jews, didn't want to believe there was any basis for the charges they brought against him. Assumed it wasn't true, or maybe he was a little nervous. Because in Matthew's account of this story, and Mark, by the way, we're told that Pilate's wife had told Pilate that day um, not to have anything to do with Jesus, because the night before she had had a terrifying dream about Jesus. 
don't have anything to do with it. So, um, so you are a king. I think kind of nervous. And Jesus doubled down. There, there is zero fear in Jesus. He says in verse 37, you say that I am a king. Now, there's more than one way to read that as well. Don't read that as Jesus saying, well, you say that I'm a king. I'm not the one who says I'm a king. You say that I'm a king. No, that's not it at all. Instead, it's more like, you are absolutely right. Uh, you know, like, you said, yes, I am a king. For this purpose, he said, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come to the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We learn from later in the passage, uh, I already mentioned that Pilate was fearful of Jesus. And, and Jesus has, in this moment, at this point, stood right before him fearlessly to tell him, absolutely, he is a king. He is not a rival of Caesar, he is Lord of the Caesar's kingdom is from this world, of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. It's not of this world. Implying two things. His kingdom will never end like Caesar's one day will. And also, his kingdom is sovereign over this world. Add to that, Pilate's wife whispering in his ear, urging him not to have anything to do with Jesus because of the terrifying dream that she had about him the night before. And Pilate, I believe, understands at least to a degree. He understands who is standing from. But what does he do? He feigns ignorance. Verse 38. What is true? Jesus had just said, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It's the same kind of thing he had said back in chapter 10 of the Pharisees who told him, You don't believe because you're not my sheep. But Jesus told Pilate the unmistakable truth. Pilate had, had every reason, if only a fear, to ask him more questions and to investigate further. But instead, he wants to run away from it. He wants to run away from it. So he feigns ignorance. What is true? Uh, you know, like probably nervous laughter. And he got out of it. Like he asked him that and then hightailed it back outside to talk to the Jews. I'm kind of scared of this guy. He goes out to talk to the Jews. I do think there was a lot of arrogance in Pilate and what he said. Well, why do I say that it was fear? Because if you look down at verse 8 of chapter 19, verse 8, we're told later when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He was even more afraid. Not afraid for the first time, even more afraid than what? And he was previously. He was already afraid. What do you take away from this? Well, Pilate is about to find out in an even clearer way that it is impossible to remain ambivalent about Jesus, to remain neutral. Pilate is famous for ceremoniously washing his hands uh, of the sentence against Jesus, but that is not possible. He heard clearly from Jesus' own mouth of Jesus' divine authority over him, over Caesar, over all men. And 
Jesus had already pronounced judgment on him. If you didn't listen to what he said, because those who are out there to listen to his voice, you're not listening to my voice. Pronouncing judgment upon him. Pilate could, could feign ignorance and nervously and jokingly say, What is truth? And, and walk away and get out of there. But the truth is, once presented with the truth about Jesus, as William Henderson said, we either side for him or side against him. Even in, in, in feigning ignorance and trying to wash his hands of it, he was siding against Christ. What does that teach you? The gospel confronts us. The gospel confronts us. Reality isn't what we make it. Right? It's what God in Christ has made it. And that does two things for us. For believers, I presume most all of you, for us, it, it, think about it, it removes from us some of the pressure we put on ourselves when we share the gospel uh, with someone. That we need to remember that the claims of Christ are powerful in themselves. That, that when we present the biblical truth, it confronts us. And even when someone tries to laugh it off like Pilate did, the Holy Spirit is with that word causing it to be like a rock in their shoe that they can't ignore. We can't. And, 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 and so it's also an indictment against us as well to claim to know Christ and claim to follow him. It's a, uh, it, it, it's, it's a, yeah, to, to take our professed faith seriously. We cannot claim to follow Christ and then in our own lives proceed in willful ignorance or ambivalence towards our professed as John proceeds with the story, we move beyond willful ignorance to willful irony. As Pilate left Jesus inside the headquarters, he went back outside to the Jews. His ambivalence that he was still trying to maintain was still trying to, he was trying to rid himself of having to deal with Jesus. He felt like he had an out. He tried to take it. He famously remembered that they had there was a custom. That was available to him during the Passover season of he could release one criminal to the people from captivity. He, of course, thinking, perhaps hoping, maybe they'll pick me like this and let him go. But the Jews instead demanded that he free a man named Barabbas instead. And John notes this is one place where he adds commentary. Oh, by the way, 2000 years later, if you don't know who Barabbas was, he was a robber. So it says. Now, it may be easy to read Robert and think that he was like a petty thief. But some of you may have a footnote. I have a footnote in, in my Bible at the word Robert. And at the bottom of the page, it gives an alternate translation. At least in the ESV that I'm reading out of, the alternate translation gives it for an insurrectionist. An insurrectionist. The word could mean either. But I believe the latter is preferred here. Because in Luke's account, as well as in Mark's, uh, here's what we read in Luke chapter 23, verses 18 and 19. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. 
a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started to see and for murder. It's hard to miss the irony on the Jew part. Uh, of what had they accused Jesus? Of claiming to be a political king, of a rival of Caesar, which could easily lead to a politically dangerous insurrection? And the Jews rightly calculated that the Romans would put an end to Jesus for that reason. But who did they ask to be released? An insurrectionist and a murderer, a plunderer. One who did desire to overthrow Rome and stole and plundered and murdered to achieve it. Add to the fact that Jesus has repeatedly in this passage testified to be guiltless. Pilate testified back in verse 38 of chapter 18. I find no guilt in it. He does it a second time in chapter 19, verse 4. I find no guilt in it. A third time in verse 6. I find no guilt in him. Their action of asking for Barabbas was asking the sinless to die instead of the sin. But instead of pointing them to the gospel, it, 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 it heaped judgment on them in that they preferred the sinner over the sinner. The irony isn't limited to the Jews. As you move into chapter 19, we see that Pilate relented to the demand of the crowd, even though three times he just saw him. Just over the top, he said, I don't think you've done anything wrong. Even though that he does that three times, verse 1, verse 1 of chapter 19, he is furious in the simplicity of words. Then Pilate took Jesus and swapped him. Some translations say, "Scourged." I'm not going to describe flogging to you. It was a hideously awful torture. And afterward, they mockingly put a royal robe on Jesus and a crown of thorns to mock him as one who claimed to be king. This, this had to be what Isaiah foresaw. In Isaiah 52 and 53, he said, he prophesied about the Christ. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. The irony of Pilate dressing Jesus as a, a, a king in such an inhumanely cruel and mocking way when he was already fearful of the reality Jesus claimed right in front of him. He didn't want to stay in the same room with him. What does this irony teach us? It seems to me to indicate that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, someone may side against Jesus, whether it's pure, religiously zealous hatred of Jesus, or just ignorant, but arrogant, the attitude of Pilate, just like, I don't want to deal with this. It leads us, whatever reason we have for rejecting, it leads us into deeper and deeper callous explanation of Jesus. We, we find reason to justify our rejection. The Jews for anger and the Romans for ignorance and arrogance. 
refused to acknowledge who Jesus was, and it led both from one sin to another. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 2 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus. The greatest irony of all of it here is that the Jews, in doing what they thought was righteous, and Pilate, in doing what he thought would get him off the hook, both ended up committing the greatest evil of all. They crucified the Lord of glory. On that note, let's quickly note the willful submission of Jesus. So after Pilate had, had Jesus scourged and mocked, I guess he hoped it would satisfy the bloodthirsty of the Jews. It's mind blowing to me to know what flogging is. For him then to bring Jesus out and said, I'm bringing him out to you that I find to show you that I don't find any guilt in him. You do that to a guiltless man? But he brought him on in verse 5, Behold the man. In verse 6, they cried out all the more, Crucify. Pilate, we've already noted, protested again and again, find the guilt in him. The Jews came back saying, He ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. This scared Pilate all the more, and he went back inside to Jesus to ask him more questions. He wants to know where Jesus is from. I'll try to intimidate Jesus. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus finally speaks to this in verse 11. I can only imagine Jesus bloody and mangled beyond comprehension. Carpenter who couldn't even carry his own cross, he was so Looking up at Pilate and calmly cutting through his hair with his fear of man to say, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Can you imagine Pilate in that moment? It's, 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 wait a second. It's no surprise that in verse 12, we're told that from then on, Pilate tried to release himself. It's as if he knew what he did. But Jesus said that Jews are the ones who have the greater sin. They should live in the He didn't say that Pilate was sinless. He didn't have the greater sin. It seems that Pilate understood more than they did. And they had the scriptures. But I don't know, I read this, I read this section of the passage, and it, it just underscores to me the infinite humility of Jesus. And the depth of his humiliation to submit himself literally to death when with a word he could have laid them all to the ground, as he had just done in his sentence. And leaders of anger come to the 
He willingly submitted himself to the humiliation of the cross, to the ridicule of the world, to the wrath of God for our salvation. When I survey the wondering cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gained, I count such loss and fortune to him and all my pride. There's one more thing that I want to, one more scene that I want to note here quickly. We've seen it coming all through <coughs> out, and it's their willful rejection of the Lord Jesus. You see, this is the last part, verses 12 and 16. Two things I want to see as we close and have time around the table. One, look at what the Jews say to call Pilate to do what he knew was wrong. He wanted to release Mary. Look, what, what do they say that gets him to change his mind? They tell him in verse 12, if you release this man, you are not Peter's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And Pilate heard these words. He took his judgment seat against Jesus. He feared man more than he feared him. And he and he delivered Jesus over to the crucified to save his own sin. But also look at the chief priests and the Jews. When Pilate presented him mockingly as their king to be crucified, I bet he said, you know, he probably did that just to mingle with you, but he hated him. Look specifically at how the chief priests respond at the end of verse 15. The chief priests, mind you, the chief, not just I mean, the chief priests, they say, we have no king but Caesar. Absolute hypocrisy, but truer than they knew. If Pilate feared uh, man more than God, they loved their position and their possessions more than God. And both were led to the same place. Rejection of the one who could forgive their sins and give them eternal life and peace with them. This passage has a lot to teach us about ourselves, about human nature, sinful fallen nature, has a lot to teach us about Christ. So as we have a few minutes around our table, um, consider these questions.